Welcome to the Genius Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McBride. And in today's conversation, I speak to Taz Achimisis, who is an expert in remote viewing, astral projection, brainwave entrainment research. He's even one of the co-founders of the Pandora Star, which is a a brain entrainment device, a light device. I actually own one myself, hence why I've asked him to come on. He's a master practitioner and also body explorer. He's got over two decades of experience and from that he's been able to enter profound altered states of consciousness and facilitate access to hyperspace, the afterlife and realms beyond. Now, as an international speaker, Todd guides thousands into profound states of consciousness from deep meditation to lucid dreaming. He's a creator, he's a teacher of astral travel, and also the mind behind Synchronicity Walks, which is a unique experience which blends intuition, dice, and delightful surprises at every corner. Now I know because I've actually engaged in these walks with him. So what we actually discussed today is reclaiming sovereignty so using energy using consciousness but in a way where we reclaim our individual sovereignty and living life on our own terms what that looks like and Todd shares not only his experience but his story as well and how he's now living that life so let the magic begin hi Todd it's amazing to have you on here today Thank you. Um, You know, we've been trying to sync this up now for a couple of months and the dates kind of haven't properly aligned, but I'm so excited we've finally got here. Um, And I want to start off by just saying how I know you. So, pretty sure it was probably a social media connection many years ago, eight, nine, maybe even 10 years ago. And I purchased a Pandora star from you for my healing centre at the time, which I can see one in the background right now. And yeah. and then from that, I've become really fascinated with your work and all the different things that you cover at the topics. And I brought you to my centre at the time and we did the synchronicity walk. We've done, we did a manifestation workshop and being truly aligned and taking your power back. And then we also did a workshop on, I think you brought your gongs, we were doing outer body experiences as well. So you cover a lot of stuff because you've been on the journey, I imagine, quite a while. I'd like, if you don't mind, to just share a little bit about your journey for people that are listening. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, I've been on the journey for a while. I'm uh, 54 years old this year and... I would say my first experiences started very young, four or five years old, had a near-death experience when I was five years old, classic experience of, you know, being in the light and, and having the, this sense of how am I going to, how am I going to fit back in my body? Mm. You know, and, and a lot of the classic things that when people have these experiences, you know, not wanting to go back to the body, um, the beings that are there to meet us, um, saying things like it's not your time. So I had something that like that that happened when I was five, uh, when I was drowning in a pond. And then after being revived, the weeks and months after that, I started having lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences. Of course, I had no idea about those labels when I was a child. This was back in the 1970s. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, they weren't popular subjects. You couldn't go into libraries and find books readily available uh, mainstream books on the subjects so i had to kind of navigate you know that strangeness mostly on my own and when you start having these experiences as a child and again you don't have labels for it uh you you don't have the support because even your parents mostly don't have a clue what's going on a lot of times we hear parents say things like it was just a dream it was just a dream yeah reality it could be so much more and you know i'm well aware of that now as a parent i've got uh four children another one on the way 
And oh, I didn't know that. Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I re- I realize how power how much power my words have, and if I if I treat my children's experiences like they're not real, and it doesn't mean I have to um, be delusional and and not um, you know have any any ability to debunk my own experiences, but making that our starting point that this stuff isn't real. I don't think that that's, you know, that's, that's honoring the experience and it's not scientific either. Mm. You know, at that age, I I had to develop my own vocabulary. So whenever I was, you know, pretty sure that I was having what I would now label an out-of-body experience, that was called uh, sleepy house. And whenever I was pretty certain I was in my body, um, I would call that wakey house. And there were times when I was really confused, but, um, Thankfully, as an adult, I can really put more perspective on what happened. But this is with hindsight. So yeah. these were my early years. In my teenage years, I started experiencing things like synchronicity. In my early 20s, I went hitchhiking. And synchronicity was a constant travel companion. I had experiences that clearly demonstrated to me where it removed all sense of doubt that I was being guided by an inner uh, force, that there were unseen forces that were looking after me. Uh, and it was in my mid-30s when I started consciously having out-of-body journeys again as an adult. Uh, and this has now been a consistent theme for me in the, you know, for the past 18 years, 18, 19 years. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I now teach this stuff. And as you pointed out with Pandora Star in the background there, I've been developing um, technologies for working in altered state for, you know, working in altered states of consciousness for over 20 years. So I used to work with binaural beats. I used to work with isochronic tones, but mostly Pandora star now. Mm. Uh, And, but all of these technologies are designed to synchronize the brain so we could experience hybrid states of consciousness. And Pandora, as an example, can, can run four frequencies simultaneously. And a lucid dream state has been mapped with EEG equipment. So we know that, you know, there's um, uh, there's theta involved, there's um, some beta waves, and then there's even gamma, mm. um, high gamma waves. So it's, it's interesting, you know, to be able to explore, um, you know, these various states of consciousness with, different technologies so this is pretty much me 100 percent, yeah and you know i've obviously used the pandora star because i've got one at home now because i closed my center and yeah. Uh, yeah um i can i can vouch for that the different states of put you in and you know a natural release of dmt rather than you know going hard and and you know really fast with it and, and trying to have it yourself but it's it's more <laughs> a gentle but effective as well, you know, to put you in states. And I used to have someone used to call me centre just for that because he said how that calm and effect as soon as you would go under it, just to, to shift in that state straight away. But that's an incredible story. I didn't know you'd had the near-death experience when you were five. So thank you for sharing that. And it makes sense. It is the typical, isn't it, experience of someone that starts to explore, you know, the invisible world and multidimensional. And that's who I've always associated you as being, multidimensional. And it doesn't matter what way you get there, whether it's, you know, looking at the synchronicities and tracking the synchronicities, using the light device, the you know, the brain, the brain device, or whether it's the the gongs and going out of body. And, you know, I remember someone in your workshop saying they went out of body and they'd been plagued by demonic entities is the way they described it for a while. And when they were out of body during that workshop, they were able to battle with those entities, make peace and then put it to bed. So, you know, it's working and operating on all dimensions. And that's that's the, the reason I've always been drawn to your work as well. And, you know, the last... My last few podcasts have been covering a lot about empowerment and how we can take our power back and what that looks like. And, you know, 
being careful not to disempower others as well and being careful of who you work with. So, you know, when, you, when you're choosing to work with someone. And it's interesting because another element to you, which I found mainly during lockdown, was the speaking out, the being empowered, how you were communicating with people. I remember there was an instance, I don't know if you remember this, and you posted about someone who was almost trying to disempower you over. They wanted you to step behind a line or do something. And they were like, um, I think you said they were harassing you in a, in a store. And mm. you had to really like take your power back from that situation and be like, that's it. And I remember you become really vocal about all of that at that time. So I did indeed, because, you know, you're, you're, you know, you speak of empowerment, you know, th- those years were so disempowering mm. you know, people. It was like there was great spell casting taking place, you know, mm. negative spell casting and people were falling completely unconscious. And what I couldn't quite understand was, you know, you only had to look to the past to see that politicians and bureaucrats, they haven't got our best interests at heart. And if you want to outsource the your protection and the protection and your well-being of your family to a government that should have no business making medical decisions, you know, for 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 me or my family, you know, if you're going to outsource that responsibility, you're going to find yourself, you know, in a lot of pain and suffering. And in some cases, it can be deadly. So, yeah, absolutely. I was outspoken. I'm very happy for people to you know, whatever direction that feels right for them, but having that respect, that same respect for someone else, if you choose, you know, to, to, you know, obey mandates that in most cases make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like here in the UK, if you can remember, you know, we could go into a pub wearing a mask and as soon as we sat down at at a table, we could take the, the mask off. But if we got up to go to the bar or, or go yeah. through the toilets, we have to put the mask back on again. These kind of things, I think, were just designed to confuse people. Mm. It's that confusion, which is the same kind of, um, you know, techniques that would be used in cults. And this is why a lot of people started using the, the you know, the, the, the terminology of the, the, the cult of COVID, because it just seemed like there was this dark psychology that was being used against the masses and it created a lot of confusion, a lot of loneliness. Mm. And I'm, I'm aware, you know, that, you know, a lot of these government think tanks are aware also of how, how dangerous and deadly loneliness is. Mm. And, you know, that's what was being created during those years. They wanted that confusion and without voices, without people speaking up, then so many more people would have been lost to that darkness. So, you know, for me, I didn't want to just virtue signal. I wanted people to see, you know, through me doing. I went on the rallies. I went on the protests. And I know that people say, you know, protesting doesn't seem to make a difference. But it makes a difference to me as a man. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I can't with good conscience do nothing. You know, even if it it doesn't make much of a difference uh, with regards to, you know, government policy, I can't just sit back and do nothing. That's just not in my nature. You know, it's my nature to look at the world with empowerment. And that means to look at it through the lens of love and not exclusively through the lens of fear. Yes, I I will experience fearful moments, but I'm not going to stay in fear because, you know, that's only going to take me so far at some point like they would say and suggest in the, in the book, The Course in Miracles, miracles occur when we make that shift, that conscious shift from fear to love. Mm, yeah, 100%. And everything you've just said, yeah, I mean, I felt the same as well. And going to the protest made a difference in my life because it was also, for me, an internal declaration of sovereignty. And as you say, there's a lot of dark magic there's a lot of spell casting which is going on and trying to keep us disempowered, trying to keep us controlled. So because of that, it starts with yourself and the internal decisions and choices that you make. Even if people say, oh, it's not making a difference, it does make a difference to you because you're not buying into that. You're not 
listening and then for me when you do that you're not vulnerable and susceptible to the other spells that they cast and the other dark arts that they use and you know I think there's a lot of people out there that they knew something was wrong but they don't know to the extent of what actually does go on and they don't know to the extent of the darkness that the government can bring because they're in that trap of being controlled, you know, and it's only when you have an experience or, you know, you 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 really become attuned to your intuition and, and you're connected to that intuition, which is the opposite of what you're saying about the loneliness, then you feel disconnected. Only once you're in that state of connection do you know that actually all of this feels wrong, this is wrong, and what can I do about it? And, you know, the... It, it's hard as well because yeah. it's almost like we're in a trap of there's only so much we can do. And we talk about rebelling a lot and, and not following suit, which, you know, I know you and I did as far as COVID came in terms of what we had to do. But I don't know if you noticed, there was some like real spiritual teachers that had been going a really long time that was like pushing getting going and getting the COVID jab and things like that. And they were really, really pushing it onto onto people. So for me, I started questioning everything. Now, I knew I was not getting it and that was how it was. But I started questioning in my reality, who can I trust and who can't I trust? So these figures as well are in the public eye. And, you know, people whose work that I'd studied and they were literally gaslighting people. It become really confusing. I was thinking, are they? under control or are they actually aware of what's going on and they're part of that agenda and it all become really confusing yeah i i saw a lot of that too and you know even within our friendship and family circles you know people's weak hearts and minds started to become very apparent and this is what we're dealing with you know when and this is one of the reasons why i think having a spiritual dimension to our lives is so incredibly important especially in such times where, you know, tyranny needs to be put back in the ground. So, you know, like our grandfathers put, you know, put back in the ground during the 1930s and 40s, you know, it started to rear its head in a big way. And, you know, if, and like you said, this stuff can be hard, but we also need to be reminded that we can do hard things. You know, our lives have become so domesticated. Uh, you know, we're in comfort zones and, you know, this is one of the reasons why I push myself on a regular basis. Like I'll go on hitchhiking journeys where I have no destination in mind because it's it's about the growth that I experience along the way. It's why, you know, I would sometimes go wild camping in the middle of a harsh winter in Scotland because I'm using the cold to wake me back up again. You know, where a lot of people have you know, that inner sense of hibernation. I want to bring myself back to life. I want to use the energies of the seasons, you know, in appropriate ways. Uh, but at the same time, you know, winter does not mean that, um, you know, it, it does not mean hibernation for everyone. You look at one of the reasons I love pine trees, the spiritual meaning of pine is life over darkness because it remains green throughout the winter months, you know, all year round, it remains green. So, you know, that's one of my favorite trees, my, one of my favorite essential oils, you know, that I'll use uh, for energy work within my own home, because it reminds me of life over darkness, you know, this idea. That's and, synchronicity, just, just before you go on, that's synchronicity, because I walk to, I live next door to Nature Reserve, and it was flooded two weeks ago. So I walked across a different way and found big, huge pine trees, this opening. And I've been going there daily to this these pine trees and the smell. And I, I didn't know the spiritual meaning. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful spiritual meaning. And but yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think this is why having a spiritual dimension to your life is important in these times, you know, because and and therefore spiritual practices. And I think this is why a lot of spiritual leaders that we saw um, promoting fear, um, you know, over our rights, you know, and 
because of the weak minds and hearts, because it, it made it very apparent these people were not practicing what they were preaching. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that that was really important for me, again, because, you know, like I said, I have four children and one on the way. I want to demonstrate to my children through doing. And I want them to see that, you know, I walk my talk. And my values, my morals, my virtues, you know, and that I'm strengthening my virtues. And I want them to see, you know, the kind of man that I am, uh, you know, on stage and backstage, you know, being hopefully in most cases, they see the same man. Yeah. You know, I know we, we all wear masks here and there. Uh, you know, maybe there are some areas where we don't have enough vulnerability or where maybe, you know, some things should rightly be kept private that doesn't mean that we're being secretive it just means that you know we're cultivating something um within ourselves that at that time does not need to be broadcast in a world where you know with social media it's like we're encouraged to broadcast everything about ourselves yeah this is actually a dangerous practice mm -hmm. you know some things need to be cultivated quietly especially these character flaws you know these aspects of us that are virtues that are not quite in alignment just yet so, you know, yes, during that time period, I felt, you know, the part of me that did need to broadcast was that part that needed to show leadership, that needed to show, you know, that I wasn't just virtue signaling, that I was out there, you know, in the trenches and showing through doing. You know, it was yeah. important because so many people were falling unconscious. So many people were willing to, you know, to not even think with with any depth and you know it therefore got a lot of people in a lot of trouble but mm. yeah we need our spiritual leaders in such times 100 percent, and and also what you were just saying it made me think about something as well that there's a lot of spiritual leaders who are more the less embodied in, in what they teach and that was evident throughout those times, but something that I personally found about those spiritual leaders was they're too busy doing the multi-dimensional work that they're not being in grounded in this 3D reality. They haven't even integrated the trauma. And it was evident when we were going through what we were going through. It was like their shadows were playing out and what they were, you know, the way they were speaking to people and you get this and you do that and projecting onto people. But, you know, they can go and talk with the angels or, you know, they can go and like, you know, I'm, I'm having out-of-body experiences and, and you know, I'm a star seed and I'm this and I'm that. But actually, as a human, I'm not very well at being a human. I don't work very well. I've not integrated my trauma. I don't know how to interact with people. My communication's terrible. And... Soon as a real life event hits, the resilience shows or lack thereof, and all of those different things. And that to me as well really showed me that even my work flipped a little bit of, you know, you, you can't go into past life before you've dealt with this life, or you can't do this until you've done that. You've got to look at who you are now and be more grounded into that. And I think that's what you're modeling as well with your virtues and your values and what you're following and your day-to-day -day practices, that has to come first and foremost beyond the going out of body and, you know, multidimensionally and going into different timelines. So I think that's, that, that is part of being in our power as well. Yeah. I think, you know, self-empowerment is, is realizing that, you know, part of it is realizing this holistic nature of reality and if, you know, we we don't practice balance uh, and this would have been me at one time with astral projection, you know, it was my it was my life. You know, mm. I literally ate, drank, slept astral projection and it showed there were other areas of my life where I was very unconscious. And I I then soon realized that I needed I needed balance you know, it's one thing to understand our multidimensional heritage, but it's another thing to realize that we're here for a reason. And, you know, the spiritual world will always be there. And but this world, this is this is temporary in the grand scheme of eternity. This world is temporary. Mm 
So for me, this this is a real educational environment, a, a, a true spiritual you know school for the soul. And so I want to make sure that I realize that you know what I do here has an impact there. What I do there while I'm out of body has an impact here. So I want to live my life in the most holistic way. This is what you know helps me feel truly empowerment where if I'm feeling a little bit down, fine, I can go to my spiritual practices. I can go into meditation. I can go deep into spiritual reality through um, meditation, through astral projection. I can take some time there you know, maybe a half an hour during an out-of-body experience while the world is sleeping anyway. So while my region here in Scotland, the UK, Europe, you know, while we're all sleeping, I can maybe briefly be consciously out-of-body for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And of course, the the time there is very different than it is here. You know, the, the Australian Aborigines talk about their dream time and how time is more circular. You know, in these other dimensions, yes, it operates completely differently. So I can get a really long recharge while out of body to where when I come back into my body and I wake up for the new day, I'm going to have a better relationship with physical reality and, and my friends, my family, you know, because I'm treating treating these tools just as that, as tools. They're not, you know, the, the means to the end. They're, they're tools that I use along the way. And same as within my body, I can practice mindfulness uh, within my body. You know, I, I love doing energy work. I, be, I love being very aware of energies in the vein of something like uh, the ancient Chinese practice of Feng Shui as an example, you know, learning how to harmonize um, with the natural forces of, of the world and how uh, qi you know, has a profound impact on the spaces, you know, that we we live in. Mm. And so, you know, this is something that I discovered in the last few years, uh, in particular, too, in a bigger way, because when when COVID kicked off, we decided we want we were living in London and we decided, you know what, we wanted to move away from the madness uh, to a degree because my wife was pregnant at the time. I also wanted to raise our child uh, outside of that um cacophony of electromagnetic smog in a big city like London. You mm. know, I didn't want them their first few years, their months and years to be bombarded with man-made radiation, which is no good for us. So we moved to Norfolk and we lived on a farm which was out in the middle of nowhere. We could barely get 4G. Uh, there was no 5G in the area. Uh, 3G was the strongest. And you know, during those years, that farmhouse was like a feng shui paradise. Mm -hmm. it, there was really not much that needed to be done. All the rooms were appointed so you could easily have a commanding position from within any point, you know, from the points, correct points in the room. The energy just flowed so brilliantly from the land through the house, you know, back out into the land again. And then when we made the move last year from uh, northern England to Scotland, to the house that we're in right now, this house was the exact opposite of Feng Shui par Paradise. <laughs> it's as if this house went away, went against all the good principles of Feng Shui, of energy work. It's almost as if whoever built this house was angry and resentful as they were building the house. Wow. I, mean, I, I kid you not, there are some light switches that are so unintuitively placed. Like there's one um, at the where it should be the entrance of a bedroom right next to the, the door frame is two meters away on the wall. Um, and <laughs> it couldn't get more, you know, uh, disharmonious, uh, you know, just entering that bedroom. And the staircase is in the center of the house, which, you know, is not good for the good flow of energies around a house. So I had to really work hard. I had to remain conscious and, I had to be able to draw upon the physical and the non-physical, you know, domains and allies from both of these worlds. And I think this is where true empowerment comes from, realizing that we have allies all around us all the time. Mm. But it's just being mindful of that and, you know, realizing that for me, physically, the trees, there's a there's a 
cherry blossom tree that's right next to the house. And, you know, this has become one of my allies on the land for this new house. Um, we moved nice. here. And one of the things I noticed straight away, there is a um, an overpass right behind the house. It's been pedestrian, uh, pedestrianized. So uh, there's no car traffic that goes over it anymore. But nonetheless, in Chinese um, philosophy, what would flow down from there or underneath there would be what they call bad water, which is bad qi. And so I went through all the, you know, the best uh, uh, Chinese ideas on on this with even things like a bagua mirror, which I haven't employed. You know, it's you can either have one of these concave or convex mirrors to either pull energy in or deflect energy away. Thankfully, I went other routes because I didn't want to deflect the energy from me and, you know, kind of focus it towards a neighbor as an example, that itself is yeah. going to cause me bad chi. So this household has really forced me to go deep within myself to, to really better understand my own shadow because yes, the house when we moved in was neglected. It hadn't had any occupants for a few years bar one man who lived here with 18 snakes and he pretty much kept to like two rooms downstairs. Wow. The rest of the house was pretty much neglected. So if you can imagine imagine what that would do to the energetics of a space. Mm. So, you know, all of this empowerment for me starts at home, literally at yeah. home. And this this house has really forced me to go deeper than I than I did before, especially Sounds like here. Oh, absolutely. And, Can I know, just ask why you ahead. moved to that house when when you were in the perfect one with all the perfect chi in Norfolk? What then came I, over you where you wanted to move to this one? One of the reasons and one of the main reasons was uh, my 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 wife, Skye, uh, her mom and dad live locally and this is this is actually one of their one of their homes and this is the home Sky grew up in. Her mom and dad live about um, an hour away in the Highlands. And this house was pretty much just sit sitting empty, like I said, bar that one occupant. And so one, it's helping us um, in a world that's gone mad with hyperinflation as well. Mm. Uh, but equally, for the last few properties, I've really followed the intuition. So when they made this opportunity available to us, we didn't just jump at it. I wanted, you know, again, maybe it's part of the stoic philosophy where, you know, I wanted to sit with it. I wanted to meditate with it. I wanted to be silent, go into silence and really understand and connect to this house and connect to this opportunity. Uh, what does it mean for my family? Uh, what does it mean for my business? You know, because I'm not just a spiritual man. I'm a businessman as well. Yeah. So what will it mean for my business? So I wanted to really contemplate all the angles and it was only it was only signals that suggested go for it that came back with so, each inquiry. So followed my heart. And then when I got here, I had to question that, like I said, because the house, <laughs> yeah. the house was so sick and my family got sick three or four times within the first two months alone, you know, with with, you know, fluvid, whatever you want to call it. Mm, yeah. And so I had to really address this. Um, and I thought to myself, was my intuition off before we moved here? I don't think it was. I think, you know, I was just so incredibly comfortable at the farmhouse and I was forgetting what, you know, struggle yeah. was for others. And I needed to be back in the land of the real once again. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And also from knowing you and your business in London, you know, and you used to do all the gong bats. I don't know if you'd had a physical premises, did you as well? You know, so all of that that you used to do to then go into this comfortable farm to then move in here. <laughs> kind of it's kind of pulling you into actually you need to do and think again as well. And do from that is your work online now? Because I'm just thinking, how would you even work? Because I know this is something we haven't discussed. How would you even work if you're in the middle of nowhere? Do you do any face to face or is everything online? So thankfully with Pandora Star, we have a network of at least three and a half thousand light owners around the world. And I really do mean around the world. We have people who own the light in most countries and they use the light in a lot of cases, you know, as part of their business. So maybe a retreat center 
a float center who might use the the light as a pre-session to a float experience. You know, when you had your center, you had a light there. You now use it, you know, personally. Well, I actually do private retreats. So I have some one-to-one clients who fly over and it's always in that room for them to use before as well. So I do use it in that way as well. So my role now, yes, when we were in London, we had a mind spa and we had a one deck, one corner of that space. We had eight Pandora stars set up in beautifully reclined seating positions. Uh, we had the gong chamber. We had, you know, virtual reality. We had so many things for people to explore. And when we made the move to Norfolk, yes, all of that changed. But COVID changed everything anyway mm. with all the restrictions. So I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to give to myself and my family over the next few years, because I did give so much to the community at that time. And now being here in Scotland, I feel like that much more out of the loop of the London loop. But now I'm in these ancient ancient lands of Scotland and Scotland has things to teach me, um, you know, about, for example, the indigenous uh, plants, the fauna in this region, you know, in the West, we're so used to using maybe something like white sage to clear a space, but that's not indigenous to the United Kingdom, you know, the, the British Isles. So, you know, I've gone deeper into the, the history, um, the indigenous history of plants here in Scotland. And so pine needle smudging or mugwort, you know, drying out the mugwort while it's in, when it's in season and then smudging with mugwort and using those indigenous species and I feel it just to me, it makes so much more sense because the DNA as such of, of the plant for sage is not on this land where, you know, the, the DNA for the plants that grow here, you know, they're part of this ecosystem and therefore it's known within, you know, the greater landscape. And I find that for me personally, I connect to, you know, the land, the house better when I'm using, you know, the local plants. So it's stuff like this, which I've really appreciated learning since I've been here. Equally, you know, I used to really be into, you know, my shiny rocks, you know, crystals, especially beautiful, beautifully polished crystals, high quality, AAA plus quality. But since being here and I've gone for the I've gone for walks in the highlands and I find, you know, crystals that maybe have basalt, um, you know, which is volcanic rock. And then as they get eroded, you'll have quartz crystal that starts to grow in it but not quartz crystal as people are used to in when they go into a crystal shop you know the crystal is usually very low quality visually aesthetically but the power that's in these stones in these crystals because the volcanic nature of the part of scotland that we're in it's a real energy of chaos that energy of the feminine and so you know there my my whole spiritual learning is taking on whole different dimensions now so i'm really grateful that we've moved here and that i now realize after you know building this beautiful relationship with the house the house is no longer sick the house has mm. you know been energy worked every single day there's not a day goes by where energy work is not done with the house to the point where i can now feel the personality of the house it's consciousness so for me it mm. has a personality it has character i've even given it a name um it has an it has a uh an a greenlandic uh language name uh which just came to me during a very deep um, meditation where i was using hape and it it just feels right to be able to name the house and to allow its presence to work with me mm. so everything you've just said i mean i agree with and it's it's interesting because i've been thinking about medicines of our land recently and even working with the land so what i was saying about hosting retreats here as well the land is part of that so you know and i do think we are called definitely to to different places and whether that's for us to receive or for the land to receive from us so it makes perfect sense and it again synchronicity because it's something i've been thinking about lately for myself so feels like you're doing work there for the lands as well for a very specific reason yeah absolutely and to be honest 
my energy work has has definitely expanded, and I really feel the support from the land in a way that I started to feel when we were in Norfolk because we were on three acres of land. It was you know beautiful. Um, we had ponds, we had some uh, woodlands on the property. We were just a five minute drive from the sea, so we had all of that natural elements around us, which supported my energy work practices. And it was during that time where my practice started to become amplified beyond myself. I mean, I'd always practiced things like the Ho'oponopono as a a force of love beyond myself. Mm. But when we moved to Norfolk and I had that much more space, that much more support from the elements, same as I do here, it was a natural progression to take my energy work practice into a much bigger space. So the world is, you know, my my energy work is now um, globally where I'm working with the spiritual atmosphere. Um, you know, when we we speak of the, the Schumann resonance as an example, you know, to me, the Schumann resonance is, you know, a personification of the spiritual atmosphere of what the ancients would have referred to and given, you know, the sound of Om. To me, all of that is related. Mm. So, you know, I'm constantly, when I'm meditating, I'm doing very powerful work to draw energy into this space to where it can be amplified. I've got pyramids set up within this property. I've got crystals and stones and minerals set up. Mm. I've got a lot of conscious creations here um, where a lot of thought has gone into it for refining energy, harmonizing energy, amplifying the energy, and then sending that energy back out into the world. Mm. Because, you know, from my out-of-body practice, you know, and this is again why I, I really have to I have to, for true empowerment, I have to see this in a holistic way. So when I've gone out of body, I know that there's always opportunities for me to learn. And I really want to be in that give and receive um, state of being. So I, got out, I go out of body and I'm constantly being given. I'm being given knowledge. I'm being given experiences where I can grow. You know, I can see the wisdom of other um, spiritual worlds. And on some of these spiritual worlds, I've been shown that they they talk not just like us about Mother Earth and, and some of the traditions here where they talk about Father Sky. They know without any reservation that they have these different elemental forces and these different uh, spiritual evolved beings as part of the planetary system itself. And so they would almost in a sense refer to it as a sky god. And the practice was that whenever you would meditate on one of those worlds, after you've built your energy through meditation, you would then give back. You would give a portion of that energy, you know, back to the collective. Mm -hmm. And so this is where my practice has really evolved to now, where when I'm doing energy work, I'm very mindful of the needs of the collective. I'm almost like, like if we take this to a, a micro level, my space that I'm in right now, there's a bigger part of the space this way, Uh, which is my main part of my sacred working space. And everything has been uh, designed, you know, around this being the multidimensional center of my home. And it's almost like there's an energetic, it's like an energetic spider web. And this is the, no matter, you know, I'm up here, but at the same time, if there's a need in the household energetically, I can just feel the vibration through the, through the web. And I will then maybe light some incense or maybe I'll do the humming um, technique where I'm just humming like the um, the uh, the pranayama, uh, which is nicknamed the the humming bee. And I'm feeling that energy within me that I, but I can direct it anywhere within the household because time and space are not the fundamental. Consciousness is the fundamental. So I can direct those energies anywhere or maybe I'm sensing the mood of the house as I've gone downstairs and I realize that there's some energy support needed emotionally. So uh, maybe as I'm walking around the house, what am I leaving in my wake as I walk up and down the stairs, as I'm walking, you know, up and down the hallway from room to room, am I being conscious in that moment? Because if the, the web has alerted me to a need in the household, what am I now going to do? Am I going to switch, you know, am I going to go into a state of fear? Oh, wow. My wife is, you know, experience something here she needs a bit of support am i going to switch into fear or am i going to become the the mountain you know like you know the in in um 
the sacred masculine philosophy. I'm the mountain. If my wife needs to blow off some steam, let her blow off some steam. You know, I can be very conscious. I don't have to fall unconscious. I don't have to feel like it's an attack. I don't have to feel like I, I'm not a strong enough man to handle my wife being emotional in that moment. I don't need to intellectualize her, her feelings. It's not what she mm. needs in that moment. But this is a matter of staying conscious. So as I'm walking around the house, I do my absolute best to be conscious because as I'm walking around, I'm creating this wake behind me. And what is being left in my wake? Is it fear or is it love? And it's exactly the same for the world. So, you know, for me, my empowerment, my gift of empowerment to the world, again, I'm just taking that spider web and I'm, I'm, I'm just visualizing it in a much bigger way. So if there's a need, for example, all the fear surrounding the Middle East is at the moment. The Middle East will do... That was going to be one of my next questions. The Middle East will not benefit from me and my fear. And I know a lot of people say, you know, we we shouldn't focus on this kind of stuff uh, because we'll make it bigger. That's not the spiritual teaching. The spiritual teaching Mm. is if when we focus on things, we we don't project our our fears on that situation. We move into a space of love and we... At, within that place, we're able to give, you know, um, awareness, we're able to give understanding, we're able to give mercy, we're able to give forgiveness. You know, this state of unconditional love does not make us a doormat, like maybe a lot of people would assume, oh, if I'm unconditional loving with somebody, they're just going to walk all over me. No, that's not self-love. That is, that's self-hate. When we allow others to walk over us and to walk all over us, that's self-hate. So my gift of, you know, this, this self-empowerment, you know, I've filled my cup. I'm strong enough now to then give. And, you know, going back to close off that loop from earlier, give to receive, I'm well aware of this great spiritual paradox. And I know that when I received, it's always a time to give. It's never a time to wait. It's always a time to give. So I'm constantly in that flow. And so if, you know, with the world, if there's a situation like that, I might momentarily, because I am human, I might momentarily be spun into fear, but I will not stay there as long as I would have done when I was much younger. You know, Mm. my spiritual practices have made me a stronger man. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And just where you were going then with the synchronicity again, because it was in my awareness about, you know, what can we do from your perspective? I know I have my own energy practices and the things that I do, but have you got any kind of, you know, advice for people listening? Because I am the same as you. I disagree about, well, you don't focus on it because there needs to also be awareness of what's happening. And, you know, there needs to be awareness of these things. And I remember years ago, there was some guy and all his, focus was about and his teachings were about was um talk focusing on the positive and only letting that flourish and we can't focus on anything going on and I shared something about like I don't know a bushfire in Australia and they were trying to raise money for some you know koala bears or something like that so he deleted me and then sent me this message about you know how I'm spreading this negativity and my by sharing that it's not going to do anything and I was like well it was because I was trying to raise some money for these you know injured koalas but anyway that is the thing that I disagree with most when people say do not focus on that thing to me that's it's cognitive dissonance it's avoidance and you know I I do like to okay what can I do is it whether it's prayers whether it's you know meditation whether it's acknowledgement Whatever it is, I like to be in that. But do you have any kinds of specific advice? Because this seems to be more of your arena now and you're focusing more and more on it energetically uh, for people out there and what they should do or can do, not should do, if there's anything available to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree. And I think one of the simplest ways to put this, um, you know, with regards to what a lot of people would call the love and light brigade, where everything is always everything's good. Oh, it's all good. You know, this is sign of serious spiritual bypassing mm. and. And also a lack of real vulnerability. So, 
you know, the pushback you were getting was, you know, a sign of their own inner struggle in itself and their, their lack of, um, their, their lack of being able to be vulnerable with you in that moment, because for a lot of us, men in particular, and I know this is everybody, but I find because I'm a man, I need to speak from the heart of a man, from the mind of a man, you know, for other men in particular, and for, for, for young men, in, you know, in particular. So, you know, my, my struggles, you know, like I said, there are some things based on my stoic, you know, um, uh, teachings, you know, I don't teach stoic uh, philosophy, but, you know, things that I've learned, there are some things, you know, that I keep to myself, because these are things that maybe I'm weak on. And I need to, I need the time and I need the space to cultivate this within myself. Um, and then there are things that the world needs to me needs to see my son needs my sons need to see my my daughters need to see they need to see my vulnerability they need to see my strength in certain areas but at the same time you know there are certain people who have earned that right and there are a lot of cases where there are people that have not earned that right to see me you know and all of my vulnerabilities my weaknesses because sometimes people will use that stuff against you mm-hmm. you know so you know when we look at things like um the idea of not focusing on something because it will make it bigger. What happens when we ignore our our personal debt, like our bills? Do they get better because we ignore them? No, they get worse. And the same thing applies in the world. And like I said, the difference is this. If you're projecting fear onto a situation, yes, energetically, you are making it worse. And this is why, you know, Spiritual awareness is so important. Self-awareness is so important. So me being aware of what am I doing right now? Am I projecting fear or am I giving my awareness to this situation and allowing unconditional love and beings who are far more attuned to um, and practiced with and in some cases masters of unconditional love. Again, I surround myself knowingly with allies from this world and all the worlds. So, you know, if I'm, if I've not mastered unconditional love, which I have not, okay, I have not. Um, I've probably mastered tough love really well, but unconditional love, you know, messy love, you know, messy love, yes, unconditional love, I'm still getting there. So I surround myself with the teachings of those who have mastered it. I surround myself when I go out of body, I seek out beings from other worlds who have mastered it. And I ask for their assistance here in the body. So one of the ways that I do this, I use um, the Ho'oponopono practice, which, you know, we've spoken about before. It's a practice which I feel because it's been simplified for modern times, anybody can do it. And the beautiful thing about the Ho'oponopono Whereas in the past, um, you know, even up to the 20th century, into the second half of the 20th century, this powerful Hawaiian spiritual practice, which is all about forgiveness and reconciliation, was more of a family community uh, practice. But if you can imagine in those days, bringing the clan together to to air our grievances, to forgive and be forgiven. That is no easy task for anybody involved. You know, we could be talking about, you know, um, small misdemeanors as well as major crimes committed against the community. These things are not going to be easy. And this is one of the reasons I like the idea that, you know, comfort should never be at the center, you know, of these kind of conversations. You know, this is this is um, entitlement to a large degree. So, you know, the the spiritual leaders that were at the center of these practices, when they were bringing the families, the communities together, you know, they would give people, um, people would have, um, they would have preparations to make before the, the family or the community came together because this stuff was going to be difficult. You know, can you imagine facing um, your accuser or facing your abuser in these gatherings. That's that's challenging. So it got to a point where 
in I think it was the 1980s where one of the the last great spiritual kahunas, uh, spiritual leaders of the uh, Hawaiian spiritual practice of Ho'oponopono, she decided to update the practice um, to make it very personal. So she made the practice one that was solely between you and the divine. Mm. And this is how it's now been updated. So your personal forgiveness work practice is between you and the divine only now with the modern modernization modernization of the Ho'oponopono. So you can now do forgiveness work in the privacy of your of your own spirit. And even if that involves getting closure with other people, you know, your spiritual work, your forgiveness work does not depend on the actions of any other human being. If they're not showing remorse, like if you've if they've done you wrong, if they're not showing remorse, that no longer matters. This is again between you and the divine. And the more that you go into healing what is within you, you start to create this space of love around you where others can naturally start to heal too. So the modern practice of the Ho'oponopono is the healing is for you first and foremost and secondary for others. And so this is an excellent practice for people who want to start to make a difference in the world, because as you start to heal, you start to heal those and situations around you, because you're able to start to extend love. And the whole point of forgiveness work is to be able to experience, to reveal the love that is already there. That is the whole purpose of forgiveness work, is to reveal the love that is always present. And that is why practices like the Ho'oponopono are so very special, you know, in my own heart, in my and in my practice. So it's a simple prayer, but it's 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 far more dynamic beyond, you know, the surface, beyond the uh, the veil. It's the same with anything like with manifestation. Ninety nine percent of all manifestation is taking place behind the scenes you know, when we look in the mirror, like if I look into the mirror, which is a metaphor for my life, for me as a man, if I look in the mirror, what is the reflection that I'm seeing? I'm seeing the reflection of yesterday's thinking, of yesterday's way of feeling, the yesterday's behavior. So it's going to take time to see that reflection change. And when I look into the world, I'm always seeing a reflection of myself. Am I looking to this region within the Middle East with love? Am I seeing the the love reflected back to me or am I only seeing fear? Am I only letting the fear be amplified by the mainstream media, by everyone else who is not centered within themselves? So what I would do is I would sit down. I, you know, you can do the Ho'oponopono on the fly. You know, if you desire, you can do it, make it a very simple practice for me. I make it very ceremonial. I'll put some incense on. I'll wait till I have some time uh, to where I have the space to maybe have a half an hour, an hour, whatever I feel I can dedicate, you know, to this practice. I'll then get into a really powerful state like samadhi, like they speak about in Eastern traditions, samadhi, which is this intense concentration within meditation. And so I'm intensely concentrating on building energy and this is the first thing that i do because again it's about filling my cup first so that my cup can overflow to others so first thing i'm doing is building my energy so i'm raising my internal vibrational energy i'm doing this through affirmations i'm doing this with my intention all healing journeys start with a strong intention so before i even start what's my intention for this ceremonial um ritual for me, in this moment, it's um, forgiveness work for, let's say, again, that region. Okay, so classically with the Ho'oponopono, we have Dr. Hugh Lin. When he was working for the Hawaiian uh, um, State Hospital for the Mentally Insane, one of his practices, one of his mantras, when he would pick up a file of a patient, he would never see the patients in person. Yeah. His, his um, agreement with the hospital was that I will only 
you will give me the folders, I will not work on the ward, and I will be left to do this work on my own. So this is what I do. So basically, he would pick up a folder, he would maybe look at the photograph of this patient, and he would say to himself, what is within me that has caused this issue within my brother, within my sister? So it's almost as if I'm picking up this energetic file mm. for the craziness that's happening in the Middle East. Mm. I'm picking up this file and I'm saying to the Ho'oponopono ancestors, I'm saying, what is within me that is causing this situation? And as I am willing to look within myself, what is within me? What darkness is within me? Because all minds are joined on a deeper level of being. We're we are all part of the collective. So what is within that region is within me. Whatever fear is within the collective is within me. So if I deal within the deal with the fear within me, I start to deal with the fear within the collective. I'm not adding to the problem. I'm I'm yeah. literally giving love. I'm creating a space of love, you know, as a force beyond myself. Mm. And so this is how I practice. I would sit there with my energetic folder for this, for this problem, for this situation. What is within me that is causing this problem? I then allow the inner dialogue, the inner voice of my subpersonalities, you know, these parts of me that are not feeling connected, these parts of me that are feeling like they've been sheared off. Um, and it's my role to start to bring this energy back together. It's my role to do the soul retrieval for myself so that I can start to be operate as a whole individual, which makes me far more effective for my world. So my yeah. practice is simply this. I look within myself, what is within me that is causing this? And then I start to do the healing work, the prayer. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love, I love you. Anybody who's gone deep into the Ho'opono practice knows we're not just reciting a prayer. You know, yeah. each one of those phrases is rooted deeply into other realities and they have real meaning attached to them. You know, maybe, for example, um, I'm sorry. I'm saying sorry for my beliefs, my fearful beliefs, my negative um, thoughts. Um, forgive me for the reality that they have created, the reality that my negative energy, my negative thinking has created. Thank you for all the support from the universe. Thank you for all the support from the Ho'oponopono ancestors. Thank you, you know, to myself for having the awareness to, you know, to step into my power instead of looking at the situation with fear. Um, thank you. Thank you to, you know, all the ancestors. Thank you to the Ho'oponopono ancestors. Thank you to my support system, my inner support system, my outer support system, the tree you know, the, the tree beans that are just next to me in the woodland. And as I'm doing this work, I'm probably connected up a lot of case in a lot of cases with an earthing wire that goes out this window. You have to see, see the wind. There's a wire just back here that goes out the window and is then pegged into the earth with a copper, a copper um, pole. So I'm grounded to the earth. I'm not taking on this energy of the Middle East on my own. I'm really sorry, but it's not me and you against the world. It's all these allies like Mother Earth. So as I'm moving energy, that energy is being moved through me and away from me into the earth because Mother Earth is a highly evolved spiritual being who can handle all of that and more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And it's powerful and it's something, hope and opponent is something I practice as well. And it is powerful when done in the right way, what you're saying. And it's about us, isn't it, becoming a conduit? So everything, every form of energy gets filtered through our own programs our own shadows our own wounds trauma so when we take charge of that and be empowered from that space then we become a clearer conduit and can assist in that way so yeah i love that well thank you it's been amazing for you to share everything that you have today um thank you for coming on and yeah and just giving so much of your knowledge and wisdom if people want to contact you, I will put it in the show notes, but what's the easiest way for them to reach out? I would say one of the best ways to reach out is actually through my YouTube channel, because there, as you're probably aware, you know, communities are built in the comment sections of videos. 
Yeah. And people can see that they're not alone by being able to, you know, so therefore my YouTube channel is the best place. People can, they can go and watch, you know, um, videos which are based on my experiences. Uh, they can comment and they can then take part uh, and they can be interactive by taking part, by making comments. And, you know, and that's, yeah, that's the best place. What's your YouTube channel called? Uh, it's just my name, Todd Akamesis. So if they okay. type in Todd Akamesis on YouTube, they'll I'll, find me. I'll put your YouTube link in the show notes. But Thanks thank you, much, Todd. Man. And I just want to honour and acknowledge all the work that you are doing for the collective. So thank you for that as well as joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you, sir, for the invite. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Genius Alchemist podcast. If this episode has ignited your curiosity or inspired you in some way, then I encourage you to subscribe and share with friends. For those that want to stay in the loop and be the first to know about future episodes, special offers and free resources, make sure to check out the link in the show notes. By joining my mailing list or reaching out through that link, you'll have exclusive access to all the latest updates and ways that you can connect with me. I look forward to sharing more inspiring stories with you all in future episodes.